Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast morning recording edition. A pleasant good morning to you, even though you're probably not listening to this in the morning. It might be. Who knows? I don't know. I'm Sam Levowitz. He's Jack Hendon, episode 78. And Jack, the Mets are 12 and 5. 12 and 5. 12 and 5. Five series, five series wins. That's pretty good. Last time they did that was 2018, which was a great year. Um, Certain, certainly. Yeah. So I've, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. That was a good week of baseball. They took three, four from the giants. That's probably the thing that I enjoy the most. Usually we do this on recency. You know, we talk about what has just recently transpired, but I don't know. I mean, for me, that's really the thing that, um, that is most worth talking about. That was really when they looked their best. That was good. Some good baseball. Yeah. Yeah, that was a strong series for this team playing against the best team they've seen so far. They've obviously they've seen the Diamondbacks twice now. They went uh, four and two against Arizona. They saw the Nationals and the Phillies didn't look too good and really haven't looked this very good this season. Uh, but the Giants in a four game set and they came out, swept the doubleheader after the rainout in that that first two games. That doubleheader with the walk off from Lindor and then Scherzer's debut was fantastic. And then. Uh, Chris Bass laid an egg in game three happens, whatever. And then game four, they came out and, and, and won again. And it was a strong series overall with, you know, that last game Carrasco, uh, his best start as a Met, yeah. the first Met to go into an eighth inning this year as a starting pitcher. Um, and Francisco Lindor really putting the team on his back so far this year, especially in that series, looking like a potential MVP candidate. Yeah. Um, He's been fantastic. So I agree with you there, Jack, in terms of this team, they've looked good, very good so far this year. They're 12 and five, you know, they're the only team in baseball with 12 wins so far. Um, and to go out against the best team you've seen so far in a giants team that won 107 games last year and take three of four is absolutely, I think a highlight of this, this early stretch so far. Yeah. Yeah. Really. It was the pitching taking it to a, a really good offensive team that, that I appreciated the most and enjoyed watching. I mean, the first game, the Giants clearly had an attack strategy on Tyler McGill. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Chris Bassett. He didn't necessarily look good. But between what Scherzer gave you, that was easily Scherzer's best start to this point. And he saved it for a, a really fun occasion. Right. First start in front of home fans would be takes a no hitter into the sixth inning like dude was just dude was a monster freezing guys would change ups I mean I can't really speak enough to how excited I am to see more of him but Carrasco especially I mean if if their pitching continues to do that they're going to be able to beat good hitting teams um and that's I think really the strength of this 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 group right now is that their starting pitching continues to dominate into the Arizona series Tyler McGill on Sunday looked really really solid I think when these guys get warm weather you get to see their stuff a little bit better and McGill was right back up to the you know 97 98 it was uh it was it was good to see and the relievers give them credit too they seem to have um for the most part they seem to have it have it together and that was um that's something that it's you know it's really going to come down to as well um but between I think last week we talked a lot about how we needed these starting pitchers to really start picking up more innings so as to help out their relievers. And we've seen what that translates to when they do it. It's been a really pleasant sight so far. Yeah. With McGill and Scherzer this week, pitching into the seventh inning, Cookie pitching into the eighth inning. Um, yeah. I agree completely with you that 
um, the starting pitching needed to give more length and they've been doing that um, a little bit more um, through this next stretch of the season. Uh, the bullpen was also better this week in Arizona. Um, we saw some signs of life from Seth Lugo who dropped some nice curveballs off and in, in salvaging that game on Friday that almost ended in catastrophe for this Mets team, the yeah. opener in Arizona in which Edwin Diaz looked very, very strong, looked very, very good until he hung a slider to Dalton Varsho with two out and nobody on and Varsho snuck it over the wall in right field for yeah. a game tying home run. That's that uh, Edwin Diaz one pitch special. He does that every once in a while. They can there yep. can be games with that where he's so lights out and then he hangs one of those and it just it just you know dissolves everything. Yeah, and, and then obviously with they took the lead in the tenth inning on an infield hit by Starling Marte that was reviewed and overturned, and uh, and Seth Lugo with a, pup, a couple of strikeouts um, was able to nail down the save for a an extra inning Mets win the first um road extra well uh yeah they won the lindor walk-off game in the extra innings so they're 2-0 in extra innings right yeah 2-0 they uh yeah they didn't play any extras against um the nats or phillies it's it's yeah one at home one in the, on the road but i think yeah very different tones to both of those wins i think the latter you know this one in arizona had a lot of the uh it really did have the makings of an implosion you know you're up 5-1 it's literally the diamondbacks they seem to do this every time they go west. Also, I think they they blew a game um, in Arizona where they were winning like six to one only a few years ago. I remember Josh Reddick got a walk off on them last year. There something always seems to go badly when they go there, but this time it didn't uh, it didn't happen that way. And um, I mean, again, it's it's the Diamondbacks, right? They're probably going to lose a hundred games this year. They do look a lot better when Nick Ahmed is there as opposed to when Nick Ahmed is not there, but I don't think they're, you know, anything more than a last place team, but it is still, it's good to win the last game of the series too. I didn't really get to touch on that before, but just something about that, just like, just, you know, in terms of how you take that as a fan, I, you know, I'm not going to talk to momentum or any of those inside the game uh, you know, fallacies, but just as a fan, you feel a lot better going into the next series when you've won the last game um, of the previous one. I'm excited to see what they do against the Cardinals because that's another pretty competitive team that they're going to be going up against. Yeah, it should be interesting. Um, I'm not really sure what the Cardinals identity is right now. Yeah, but at least not pitching wise. It, the pitching is kind of strange. Yes, it, it is strange. They are a good team. They're nine and five. Um, the Mets have played three more games than them, which is kind of odd. And we have a nice pitching matchup to start it on Monday at 7.45 Eastern. It's Max Scherzer and Miles Michaelis, who's off to a, a pretty good start so far. Three starts, 15 and a third innings, yeah. and a 1.76 earned run average for the couple of 33-year-olds going in this. Actually, Max Scherzer's 37. What am I talking about? Um, he pitches but, like he's 33. He pitches like he's 23 sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, the ageless wonder he's incredible out there yeah. but uh so we'll see what scherzer um follows up his first home start with in, in a homecoming start to him he's a missouri guy he went to mizzou so um we'll see how that goes for max yeah but i think yeah i mean always good to start a series with your de facto ace on the mound we i mean speaking of aces we can get into it the the lack of news regarding jacob de mri about how his health 
is 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 we still don't have it well we still don't really we what we know is that like they took an mri yes but we no one's given us anything i mean mris are so stupid like we've talked about this a bunch with um with with scout people with former players like they really are not be all end all measurements when it comes to basically it's the kind of thing that you take where if they show that something's wrong something is probably wrong but if you don't see if you get a negative result that that doesn't mean that everything's fine and yet for you know through time immemorial with this team especially with Jacob deGrom we've gotten the negative MRI um it's the two-step process it's the negative MRI and then the the setback during the the rehab or buildup um that follows because there is usually something actually wrong despite the MRI because the MRI only looks for um I mean it really only looks for structural um structural problems it's not looking for internal it's it, it's harder to pick up like you know, joints, it's hard, or not joints, but muscles. Um, there are a lot of different things that I'm not totally cleared on scientifically, but just from my talking to other people, like you can get a negative MRI and, and the news can still wind up being bad anyway. But yeah, that's, that's my own tangent. I, I, I'm not expecting anything like any particularly good news about DeGrom. Um, there was the Decomo newsletter, uh, yeah. which revealed that essentially the Mets seemed to understand what caused that stress reaction in his, his stress fracture in his scapular plane, um, that he had basically been yanking his elbow or his, his entire arm back out of his glove uh, a little bit too forcefully during his windup. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert, right? Seems totally feasible, though, or you know, plausible um, that that could happen. I don't know. I mean, if, if the pitching continues to do this without Jacob deGrom, I'm not, I'm not as I think pressed about what happens, um, you know, or when he comes back, I think really for me, at least it's, it's much more about the what if, and it's about how much more fun this could all be, how many more wins you're guaranteed with Jacob deGrom coming in, but it's not necessarily, there is no one guy in this rotation right now who I think has pitched himself out of it in any way. David Peterson's the easy option because he has the options and is, I mean, I think probably the least likely to, to go deep into a game anyway. So I suppose he's the odd man out, but he's by no means a, an, an automatic loss on the mound. He looked good in Arizona too. So. Yeah. He pitched that opening game uh, and he pitched into the sixth inning and looked, looked very solid. Uh, yeah. This, the, the wild thing about this team right now. And if you would ask me in, you know, late March, I probably would have not said this is that the team does not miss Jacob deGrom right now, right? which is remarkable to me because he's obviously the best pitcher on the planet when he's going, you know, when he's healthy. Um, and right now they're still the best pitching team, starting pitching team in all of baseball. Yeah. Um, that hasn't changed over the last week. Um, even with a couple, you know, the, the egg that Chris Bassett laid, Right. Which was still only like three runs over, you know, a handful of innings, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, this mm. team doesn't miss him. I, I agree with you that I would love, love, love to see Scherzer and DeGrom, you know, going back to back days or, yeah. or whatever, or twice in a series. Um, that would be ridiculous. Obviously, there's Taiwan Walker, who's still on the shelf, who could be coming back whenever. Um right. I haven't gotten an update on him in a while. The last update was that when he did come back, he'd need a rehab start. 
Right. Um, he's still dealing with, um, he's still dealing with bursitis. I'm going to look into this. We got an update like two days ago, but there isn't really, there's the nearing return, um, you know, the nearing return headline. He's going to throw a sim game today. That's good. Uh, and then he seems to be the, the, the timeline seems to be the Walker's going to come off the injured list this weekend. Um, again, I'm not totally sure what that looks like. It's going to be all well, I can tell you about the weekend is the Mets are playing host to the Phillies. Um, and then after that series, they're going to play host to the Braves. So they're going to need as many arms as they can have. Um, that would be a good time for Walker to come back, but yeah, re I don't know if there's, rehab on the table or not it seems like if he's coming back this weekend and he's throwing a sim game today there probably won't be a rehab start or if there is they're gonna you know delay his return but uh yeah so far at least though they don't really seem to miss either of those guys it's 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 almost like they've become the depth in this in this equation right where like you hope that they'll eventually be available for when um when they're needed but yeah the the uh, depth guys have acquitted themselves so well that yeah, it's creating a really good problem to have uh, mm-hmm. in which you all of a sudden have when everyone's healthy, right. seven to eight really good big league starters and the, the least good of them being a David Peterson, who's really not getting that much buzz, but has looked pretty solid this year. Yeah, yeah, so very the- much so. I think the pitching is definitely helping them the most right now. The hitting's a, kind of an enigma, though, which we should probably try and diagnose in some way just because um, it's really spread across the board, right? They have guys who are hitting. Like, I'd say right now the tiers are you have Francisco Lindor and Brandon Nimmo as the two guys who there, there don't seem to be any problems. Lindor is completely back to what he, you know, should have been necessarily when they, tra- you know, when they traded for him and extended him. Brandon Nimmo is just this is who Brandon Nimmo is. He gets on base a lot, hits the ball hard. He's probably the best overall offensive player on the team. Um, So those are the goods. Then you have like the bad, I guess, the necessarily bad players or bad hitters right now, right? And those would be the guys who are not hitting the ball hard at all. So that's, that's Starling Marte. Um, He's making up for it on the bases, but he's not really hitting the ball hard. You have James McCann, who has one barrel. It was a 452 foot barrel. Right. It was a bomb, but it's only one. Um, Dom Smith hasn't really looked great yet, although maybe he needs more more reps. Mark Hanna hasn't really hit the ball hard much at all. He's yet to really square one up. Um, And he's been pretty he has he doesn't have a single extra base hit since he came back from uh, the COVID IL. And then you have like your TBD uh, guys who have shown that they're good, but also you don't know how it's going to hold up and you can't necessarily tell like where they're going to fit in. Um, those are Eduardo Escobar, um, who has a really high walk rate, but it might not really hold up um, just because it never has across his entire career. He's usually not someone who will, who, who will post a 390 on base percentage, right? Um, Jeff McNeil is hitting well, but he also isn't like lighting up stack cast at all. Again, that might just be who Jeff McNeil is. He looks better than he did last year. And then there's Pete Alonso, who's just sort of like it's week to week with him. I don't know what's, I mean, he's kind of like, does he look great in Philadelphia, but then he just has these at bats like against mad bum. He looked completely overmatched, which was confusing, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I would rank them. But right now they're probably going to need more goods than just two guys who are hitting. Yeah. It's, it's wild to me that there's such a disparity on 
this offensive side of the roster in terms of who's been good and who's been like almost surprisingly bad. Obviously we know James McCann is not a good baseball player. Like we know he can't hit. Um, I didn't even know he was capable of hitting a ball over a fence anymore the way he's looked Mm -hmm. um, since late last season. So congrats to James on proving me wrong and and actually showing that he's got some power. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to get a little concerned about Mark Hanna. I know he just had COVID, but he doesn't have a single extra base hit this season. So even dating back to that stretch where he started the season, like eight for 11, those were all singles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still all singles. So even though the average looks, you know, decent for Mark, um, he hasn't really shown anything besides being capable of hitting the occasional single. Yeah. This team in general has been a good offensive team in terms of run output. There really haven't been games so far this season where they've been, with the exception of, I think, one or two losses where they've been kind of screwed um, because the pitching's kept them in games and they just haven't scored. Um, I'm remembering, I think, the first loss of the season with the Trevor Williams Mm -hmm. thing against the Nationals as a game that if they had scored more, it's not really a problem. Um, But even still, this was a team that was really kind of pretty consistently putting up five runs a game. and I think a lot of that does come down to Pete being able to drive in runs when guys are on base, despite not necessarily having the greatest offensive start. Yeah. Um, Nimmo getting on base a lot, Cannon getting on base a lot, Escobar getting on base a lot. Um, Marte, you know, playing with his wheels when he does get on base. And Lindor just being really, really, really good right now. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird unit and they do need more barrels. They're not really barreling baseballs. They didn't really hit for a whole lot of power in this series in Arizona, but um, when this team gets going offensively, I think maybe when the weather starts warming up in New York, we're starting to get some actual spring weather. It's been pretty cold in, in in New York so far this season. So uh, in the Northeast in general, so maybe that'll help, but they do need some more power output from some of these guys. Yeah. Well, it's also weird because they seem to be on this uh, under this impression as a team that they need to get every single player reps. And that's, I think, hurting the guys who really should be getting regular reps right now. Like they continue to batch up McNeil eight or even just bench him in favor of either Diorme or Robinson Cano. Robinson Cano is probably the only hitter in the in the mold right now who I look at and I'm like, this guy has absolutely nothing to give. Like I'm, I'm pretty much ready to move on from Robinson Cano. Um, Tomas Nito is Tomas Nito, right? He's the backup catcher. He's never really going to hit. Like he can get away with it, but Robinson Cano is here to be a, a bat and he's not doing that. Um, I don't know why he's getting time over really anybody. Um, JD Davis has not gotten many at bats at all. And yet he seems to be doing well with his sample at least. Um, his OPS plus right now is over one. It's, it's, it's fairly high. Last I checked, it was 111. It might've gone up after the home run, um, that he hit yesterday, opposite field home run, right. For that matter. But, um, yeah, Pete is also like not really getting that many, uh, reps at times. I think he's been sat once or twice to this point. I know he doesn't like being DH, but there are also games where he's yeah, sorry. JD's at 141 now, but um, but I digress. Marte hasn't gotten like he's been sat a couple times for Travis Jankowski, who is 
literally Travis Jankowski. Like, I think some of these guys will also come around once they're just simply getting more at-bats in tandem with the weather getting getting better. Um, yeah, like Marte specifically had the oblique thing in, in spring training. Yeah. So maybe he's just a little bit behind on bats and even on at-bats rather. And, and still, even despite what feels like a slow start and what StatCast will tell you is a slow start, he's um, – got if i'm reading your notes correctly he's got the lowest average exit velocity in baseball yes that is um, true which is ridiculous because this is a guy who's hit a couple of home runs this season um hit a couple of line drive singles in the series in arizona um and is hitting 254 overall which is not a high average but a respectable one um and he's been an above average hitter in terms of offensive output, the OPS plus is at 109. So he's a 9% better than league average, despite the OPS sitting at an even 700. Not really getting on base a whole a whole lot, 319 on base, slugging percentage only at 381. Um, he's got two doubles and two homers and 69 plate appearances. So power output, just, you know, those two home runs were great electric you know in, in in the first series against arizona but um nothing really since power wise from him so i yeah i see where the di- the the disparity is coming right but it, it doesn't feel necessarily that that Marte has been uh a negative for this team yeah. offensively he's, he's he's definitely made things work um i wouldn't say that yeah i probably wouldn't put him See, when I talk about guys as like they're not producing right now, it's simply just in terms of, you know, hard hits and, and what they should be doing versus what they are doing. Um, I would never I would not expect in any way, shape or form for us to be talking in August about how James McCann and Starling Marte are both struggling at the plate. Right. Like they're they're definitely going to distance themselves from one another um, and Marte will get better. But it just seems like every game that they've had to this point, it's been. If Nimmo's playing, which some games he just isn't, uh, again, I, I don't really know why. They seem to be very strange in their their methods for playing Brandon Nimmo. For one thing, putting him in center, and now for another, like not always giving him reps. But um, I think really it's Nimmo and Lindor at the top of the order are guaranteed to do something. And then you're hoping that between the other seven guys, one to two of them are going to put something together. Some days that's Escobar. Some days that might be Pete Alonso. Um, some days that might be Jeff McNeil if he's in the lineup, but I think really they need just one more guy to be hitting consistently, um, for this, for this success to continue because they are going to face right now. These are not necessarily good pitchers either. Right. I mean, the nationals had terrible pitching and we know that the diamondbacks do not have good pitching in really any sense of the word. Um, and yet I would say that between their loss on Saturday and also the loss last Saturday, um, and what seemed for a lot of last Sunday's game to be a very fruitless endeavor against like literally Umberto Castellanos, they're not really, they're not really putting it together against bad pitching. Um, the Cardinals, like you said, they have a weird identity. I think the hitting is going to be what the hitting is. Um, Dylan Carlson's very good. Paul Goldschmidt will be very good. He will turn it around. Um, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, good players. Tommy yeah, Edmund, good player. The pitching is weird. Miles Michaelis, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you how long this is going to last. They've been very strange with Jordan Hicks. Like they want him to start and it seems to be going well, but um, this has also backfired on them a number of times where they take guys who throw really hard 
and probably should have a designated role as a reliever coming in and starting. They did this with Carlos Martinez. They've done this with Alex Reyes. Um, yeah, Hicks is starting the second game of this series, but yeah. as a starting pitcher, Jordan Hicks has made three starts and has thrown seven innings. So, like, he's not stretched out yet. Right. He's he essentially I – mean, he's, he's an opener right now. Yeah. You get to their bullpen the first game, you're then you're – I mean, at that point, you're really in business to do good things. And that's, I think, something that I would give the Mets credit on, even though as we've elaborated that they aren't hitting the ball hard, they also are not striking out, and they are walking a lot. And from just the simple experience of watching these these games, they are doing a pretty good job of forcing starting pitchers out of the game before the seventh inning. And in many cases, even during the sixth or before the sixth inning. And I think that that's something that, especially to start a series, I mean, you see how that can wear on a team. Um, I think that that's something that they really, I mean, we saw this in the Philadelphia series because um, by the end of that, they had nine runs in a game because they, you know, they basically bled the Philly staff dry and those guys were going to Bailey Falter for like two innings. Like it, it really does make a difference if you're drawing your walks. Um, so I give them credit for that. Uh, they continue doing that. They're still in a good spot to take two or three. But I just think with every passing day that they aren't hitting the ball hard, like you are kind of pushing it. So yeah. you got to be able to, you got to take your walks, but you know, once you're able to get ahead, it's not just the walks. It's like, you got to get yourself ahead in counts. And yeah, if they continue to throw the pitches outside the strike zone, then take your walks. But if you're in a three, one count and you're getting a fastball down the middle, you got to punish it. Yeah. Um, you got to be able to do both. You got to be able to walk, get your guys on base and be able to punish pitches to hit that you do get. And uh, they're not really doing a whole lot of that right now. They're, they're hitting balls hard occasionally, you know, whatever at a normal clip enough to score some runs, but um, not at the consistently high level that an elite offensive unit would be doing. Um, So we'll see how it goes in this series. We get Steven Matz's first start against the Mets um, in Cardinals red on Wednesday in the day game. So it's Michaelis and Hicks. And then Matz is the probables for the Cardinals. The Mets get Scherzer, uh, Chris Bassett, and then got to recheck real quick. It's uh, Carrasco against Steven Matz. It's a good lineup for them, starting wise. I mean, Matt's is going to be interesting. That's going to be, you know, Steve Cohen's going to be watching that game with binoculars. That's just like, that's the revenge game for him, right? Yeah, um, I mean that that's going to be interesting, regardless. Yeah, I feel bad because that was like that wasn't even Matt's. That was his agent. That was just, and it was also like not really like, I don't know. It didn't seem like anything really bad or or, or unprofessional was even taking place. And it, no. it's probably for the better that they didn't get Stephen Matt's back. I don't know. I mean. Not that Matt's isn't good, but you see what it led to. I mean, they basically went into a rage and, and got Max Scherzer and traded for Chris Bassett out of it. So, I mean, it was a success. Um, so, no, that, that I think will be kind of fun to see. Um, Matt seems pretty – I think he seems to be a good fit for a team like the Cardinals. I mean, really his struggles with the Mets were always um, – I mean, you would have games where he couldn't get out of the first inning uh, because right-handed hitters were – blasting him out of the yard and then he would have other games where he like couldn't get out of the fourth or fifth because ground balls kept getting past Ahmed Rosario and and Robinson Cano and Azdrubal Cabrera and name as many low range infielders as you want the Cardinals are not a low range infield team Tommy Edmond is a pretty good defender uh 
Edmundo Sousa is a great defender. Uh, Arenado, it, it needs no explanation, really, how good he is. Like, he'll be good. Um, yeah. yeah, Steven also had the whole mental thing where things would just spiral on him. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's yeah which he, he got better, I think, um, at points. But it was still an issue for him where little things would go wrong and he would just spiral out of control. Yeah, But, you know, he's older now. He's more mature now. And um, he's off to a decent start in St. Louis. Um, yeah. Well, I'm actually, really mm-hmm. ah, I may have spoken a little too soon. The ERA is sitting north of five, but he struck out 17 batters in 13 and two-thirds. Yeah, that's – that. I mean, I guess that'll play. I don't know. I still think that Matt's is someone who, like, will be good on a team that knows how to use him. I don't really think the Blue Jays knew – a whole lot about how to use him they seem to be a little bit I don't know the Blue Jays seem to be in a position where they're kind of like the Padres like we talked about where like they can find good guys who are baseline good and sign them and bring them aboard but um, developing or taking guys who could be good um, is sort of it's it's more of an experiment for them that has kind of I think varying results I mean I'll look at what you say Kikuchi is doing right now but um, I know that for them, like Kevin Gosman is a very safe and solid signing. Um, they did figure out Robbie Ray. Like I'll give them credit for that. And Kikuchi yeah, that was fun. Okay. Yeah. Kikuchi was, Kikuchi's doing fun. He has more walks than strikeouts and he is, okay. The FIP is pretty high. These yeah. are all small samples. Like, um, yeah, it's all like everyone's got two to three starts right now. Yeah. I mean, the relievers are fun too. Cause we really, we can only judge them on a basis of what we see during games right now. Um, you know, Lugo, it's like, I mean, who really knows with Seth Lugo? Cause he looked good on Friday in good weather, looked terrible last Saturday. He's sort of in this weird state where you can't, I think you can't really put a finger on it statistically, like what you've gotten so far. Trevor May is probably another example, right? I mean, he's, he's working his way back from a triceps thing and um, they are not really playing out of Vino a whole lot. He only made two appearances this whole week, um, one on Tuesday and then one on uh Saturday they kind of had him resting for a little while um I don't know it's hard to judge any individual pitcher right now um let's see uh I mean Matt's the the thing about Matt's that is interesting I guess is just that like I do want to see him do well just as a former Matt and as someone who I think Matt fans didn't really give a whole lot of credit to but um they have a lot of guys right now. I mean, a lot of dudes left after last season and they've all gone their own ways and had different results. Um, like Noah Syndergaard has been really weird. I don't know if you've been like following. I have been. He's, yeah. he's just like a seam shifted wake sinker ball guy now. Yeah. He's, he's really, he, throws, uh, he just throws 94 to 96 and gets a lot of ground balls. Yeah. He like mixes in the change up a lot more. I never realized how much he was even throwing the change up in like the two starts he made last year as a Met but like he's basically using that thing like it's a sinker or a fastball in terms of frequency which is again like it's very jarring because it is Noah Syndergaard but if he makes it work as that kind of pitcher that I think would be a pretty good testament to just you know how intelligent a a pitcher he really is because I think we always not the two of us but as a fan base probably gave him a little bit of a hard time for always wanting to throw it too hard and um you know, trying to overpower hitters, et cetera. I thought, I don't know. I thought he was really good. I never really fell into that line of thinking, but 
um, there was definitely an impression about Noah that he was velocity over like substance. And if he, be, if he becomes a substance pitcher, that would, I think, that would be interesting. And it would be good for the Angels because they never seem to draw the right guys when they pick their pitchers to work on. He's a 212 yeah. ERA right now. Hasn't given up a home run in his first 17 innings. Only 10 hits. Um, it's, I mean, he's, again, the, the AL West is kind of an interesting division. Although, I, yeah, I mean, the, he's pitched against the Athletics twice, I think, which is, you know, we talk about numbers at this stage, but uh, I don't know. I think it could be interesting. Syndergaard's been good. Marcus you know Stroman has not been Yeah, good. I was going to say, you know who stunk so far? Is Marcus yeah. Stroman. It's been really bad for him. I mean, I don't, again, I don't think he's going to have an 831 ERA the whole time, but uh, he has an 831 ERA right now. And he, he got, got mauled by the Rays. Yeah, just got beat up by the Rays, gave up four in the first. Uh, three starts, 13 in the third. He's given up 13 runs. Yeah. 16 hits, six walks, three homers. Yeah. That's not good. That's, yeah, I mean, and he's he's out there on Twitter complaining about umpires. Do you see that? Is he? Yeah, he was liking a bunch of tweets about how the home plate umpire in that race start wasn't very good or, or like, you know, the umpire scorecard was like. Oh, yeah, those things. Had him, the ump rated slightly in the raise favor by like half a run, maybe. Like, I'm not so sure that, uh, uh, that Marcus, if Marcus has given up a run every inning, I don't think that he has a lot of ground to stand on. Yeah, well, that's funny, too, because, like, teams have the umpire scorecards. Like, they have spread, like, like what are they called? Um, heat maps on umpires. And they literally brief their pitchers and catchers on where they're going to go with pitches based on where the umpires are usually inclined, more or less inclined to call balls or strikes. Like, it's not like, like, you shouldn't have gone into any sort of start thinking that the strikes were all going to be called strikes and the balls were not, especially if you're Marcus Stroman, who thrives off location, like, I don't know. I mean, this is just kind of his act. I hope it, I hope he like gets it together sort of, I don't know. It's, it's again, I don't think 831 is in his future for very long, but uh, it, 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 it doesn't surprise me a whole lot that he's got excuses. Um, yeah. And then one former Met who uh, doesn't have a team. We got some clarity on Michael Porto yeah. this week. Finally. He underwent season ending shoulder surgery to uh i think i guess finally repair that like almost half a decade old injury at this point yeah well he re he seemed to re-injure it or aggravate it during the showcase that he did in january and i guess that would explain why no one looked at him afterwards and no one offered him anything but yeah yeah it's it's sad i think that you know i think that if he needs a whole year to just get it all right then it's probably going to bode well for him when he hits the free agent market. It is also a bummer just looking at how we discussed his market last this time last year is basically his market in the outfield. Didn't seem like anybody between Schwarber or Castellanos was going to command as much money as Conforto. So long as the guy performed to the usual clip that he did, but he didn't. I mean, he clearly was dealing with this shoulder problem during the actual regular season too. And it, yeah, I mean, it is half a decade. And it made me think more about that, you know, that injury when it happened, because he really did just swing and the thing came out of the socket. It was, it was, mm -hmm. a, it's, it would be really unfortunate to think about and to ultimately label that moment like five years ago as the undoing of 
of Michael Conforto. Um, and I'm glad that it's not necessarily to that point yet, but uh, you know, we really are going to see between him, Judge, uh, there are other guys too that I'm just totally blanking on right now who are about to hit the market, but it's going to be a lot more competitive. Yeah, the, the most, outfielders. I think the most unfortunate aspect from a baseball standpoint for the Mets is that they don't get the qualifying offer draft pick yeah. that Conforto would come with if he signed elsewhere. So from like a pure drafting standpoint um, and baseball standpoint, the fact that, you know, the whole Kumar Rocker thing happened last year. Right. Um, and then, and now they've got one fewer draft pick in that top hundred range. It would, not, it would be in the 60 to 70 range, I believe. Um that they would get to recoup from Conforto is just a little unfortunate from like a building up the system standpoint. Yeah. Cause Kumar would be a nice addition of this prospect, you know, this, this system, if he was healthy and whatever, you know, prospect that they could add in the 65 range would have also been a nice add to the system. But that's two fewer guys um, that they won't have in this system. So um, if you're looking at the, the organization from that standpoint, that's where you kind of shake your head and say, that's a shame for the Mets. Yeah. Um, you also, of course, have to have some empathy for Michael because yeah. this has probably not been the easiest time of his life and his career. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least I guess if it means anything, it does put to rest. I'm sorry. No worries. Keep going. It does, it does put to rest the uh the the discussion about whether this guy was simply not getting signed because he wasn't good or was asking for more than he was worth right we can now understand and really give this thing an explanation which is that he was hurt and he's been, he's probably been hurt um that market that i talked about i completely forgot for a moment that brandon nimmo is going to be on that market he's probably at this stage going to command a, a lot more money than conforto uh Conforto will. Uh, there's Mitch Hanniger among right fielders. Joey Gallo is going to be a free agent. Um, talking about another guy who's kind of struggled, who I think will probably figure it out. If Andrew Benatendi continues to hit the way he has this year, he's probably also going to be an intriguing option. Um, it is not. It is not the 2022 outfield. Um, so Conforto will probably have to take a lesser deal, but it gives him all the more to prove. And I again, I think that he probably will. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's sort of where I stand on, on Conforto. It is a shame that it hasn't worked with the Mets. It's a shame that, you know, it's come to this point after really, we had been thinking about extensions at one point last season, talking about that. It didn't seem like we were ever going to get to a point where, um, he would go unsigned, uh, through April, uh, and then basically have to miss the season and take, you know, go on sabbatical and, and recover. Uh, but you know, it, it's baseball. It, it, it is what it is. It's not the first time a sad thing has happened to a Met affiliated player. It probably won't be the last thing. This is kind of just how it, how it operates. So I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I don't know. I don't have much else. Are you, uh, yeah, you want to remember some guys? Yeah. You want to remember some guys? Let's do, let's remember some guys. You want to yeah. go first? You may go first. All right, I'm going to go first. Then. If you have um, someone locked in the chamber. Well, it's April, and we talk about small samples. We talk about, uh, you know, how things hold up, how guys break out or don't break out, and how you can track at this point in the season, whether it's real. Uh, I'm remembering John Buck. Yeah. Like pretty much the best breakout in April 
that I've ever seen from any Met hitter, probably in my life as a Met fan. It was, it was pretty impressive. I need to go up and I need to look up the actual statistics. He was always a good guy to have on that team, even when he stopped hitting, simply because he caught Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler so well and worked so well with them. Uh, that was probably... I would say the most underrated part about the Dickey trade was that they they ended up getting a, a pretty good defensive player back. Uh, but through April, uh, John Buck was OPSing 844 um, through the first, where, what are we at, 17 games in this yeah. season right now? So in his first 17 games, his OPS was 964. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was slugging 661. He had... I remember him setting some sort of RBI record. I don't know if that was for Met catchers or Met players, but uh, through his first 10 games, he had 19 runs batted in. Um, it was truly unprecedented. And He had like a two-homer game on like a snowy day in Minnesota. Yeah, like, like one of them was a grand slam, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. That was fun. John Buck was uh, – he really did, I think, buy a lot of goodwill from that too because after that start, you look at the months afterwards. Between oh, he was May horrendous the rest August, of the season. I don't think he had more than like 15 RBIs. I need he to look finished, He finished the season with a 652 OPS and an 85 OPS plus and a 215 average and only 60 overall or RBIs. Yeah, so 35 after April, um, which is, yeah, kind of – I guess that's kind of just – Again, we talk about narratives and things being good and it not being good anymore. That's just kind of what John Buck is. Um, but I don't know. I mean, really, I, I didn't really care. That team was going nowhere. And between him and like John Neese and Colin Cowgill, like that April 2013 Mets team, they were something. Um, I, I, I remember him fondly. Yeah. And he wore number 44 as a Met. Jack. He, he what? Why 44? I didn't even realize that. Damn. That's awesome. Good for him. Yeah. Can I remember Ramon Castro real quick if we're remembering catchers? Yeah, I can remember Ramon Castro. Good offensive player. Sure. He, as a Met, in four seasons, are four and a half. Yeah. Was halfway decent. Perfectly league average catcher. Mm-hmm. 102 yeah. OPS plus from 05 to 08. Yeah. He was kind of interesting too, just because between him and like Laduca, they almost were foils of each other where Laduca was a really good, like he was really good at working with pitchers um, and played good defense. And he was their starter, um, pretty solid overall player, but his, his offense was pretty much entirely in, in like hitting singles. And Castro was sort of the antithesis who would, you know, he wasn't really a great defender didn't really have much of an arm at all, but he he slugged pretty pretty well as a Met. The career slugging was 452. He had a That's... weirdly great offensive season in 2007. Yeah, yeah. In which I remember he, only, that being... he only played 52 games, but he yeah. OPS 887 with 11 homers. Just injuries. I remember him getting hurt a lot too, and they ultimately kind of moved on from him for uh, in favor of Omir Santos. Which, yeah, they traded him off to the White Sox in 2009 for Lance Broadway. A real name. Yeah. Real dude. Real dude. They absolutely made that trade because of his name, by the way. Because he. Oh, Lance Broadway, who went on to become an actor. Yeah, um, literally went on to be an actor. Like, yeah. And then Ramon Castro. Character. And then Ramon Castro in Chicago caught the Mark Burley perfect game. 
He did. He did. Good game caller, I guess. It wasn't that he couldn't work with pitchers, but yeah, that's that's a good uh, that's a good guy to remember for sure. All um, right, is that a good? Probably place both to... of them could hit better than McCann right now. Probably. Uh, Buck is only forty-one. Castro's forty-six. Okay, Castro maybe not so much, but yeah, give give John Buck a call. Let's see what he's up to. Yeah, why not? Um, all right, yeah. that's all I got. If that's what that's you got. Cool. That's an episode. Max Scherzer tonight. 78. Enjoy your Max Scherzer tonight, assuming this episode is able to go out before the game goes out. But uh, so say, yeah, whatever. Uh, episode 78, Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. He's Jack Hand and I'm Sam Lovowitz, Mets fan. Have a pleasant good evening.